How y'all doing this morning? Awesome, awesome. I am excited to continue on this morning in the book of Revelation. And um, here in just a second, uh, Susie's going to actually come and read the, the scripture for us, the text for us. And I want to start doing that a little bit more as inco- incorporating you guys uh, in, the, um, in the, the service and in the preaching of God's word, both men and women. Uh, I want you guys to be able to uh, read the scriptures for us sometimes and uh, to pray uh, for us also uh, in keeping with the scriptures, uh, how we pray and, and how we communicate uh, in the service. And especially I want some of the ladies to be able to be drawn into that and be used a little bit more here in the church. And I want us to be praying too. I tell you, this biblical womanhood class that I just got finished teaching has shown me just how uh, awesome our, our ladies are here at the church. And I can honestly say that, and I get asked this question all the time, how do we get the men to be so involved and how uh, do we get such strong male uh, presence here at the church? And I'm excited for that. I really am. That's an awesome thing. But I don't want it to be the, to the neglect of the, the females in the church and the ladies in the church who are strong women of God to be used by God in every way that they can through the scriptures. And so excited about that for her to come here in just a second. I want to uh, say that uh, I am overwhelmed by the Word of God this week, and just as I've been studying and, and how it has been opened up to me uh, by the Lord and through conversation with brothers and uh, uh, different types of conversations, and um, I tell you, the Word of God is so good, and it's so deep, and it's so intrinsic. It, it, it's truly amazing to be in the Word of God and to be trying to uh, be enlightened by the Word of God. And I, and I pray, see, I have conversations with people all the time through um, Facebook, through text messages, through face-to-face conversations, through telephone conversations, and many of them have uh, different views than I have. Uh, Keith comes to mind, but also does Hop and Jeremy, I'm not sure if he's here today, um, Dustin and, and Mark and Ryan, and all these guys, we just go back and forth and we're talking about the scriptures and we're sharpening one another. And sometimes my understanding is, is confirmed and sometimes I have to take a step back and say, man, I've never even really considered that before. And I think that this is absolutely crucial and essential to us growing in maturity as believers that we might be able to rightly divide the word of God. And I'll tell you this, I've learned too is that we've got to be careful uh, not to condemn our brothers around us if they hold a somewhat of a different viewpoint, at least on secondary issues and things that aren't essential or fundamental to the Christian faith. Because we can oftentimes get so wrapped up in being right that it can cause a divide and a hostility in us toward those who have an opposing viewpoint because we're right and they're wrong. But what I found is, is that even when discussing and talking to those with a differing viewpoint, it is very, very beneficial because it can help us to see that, one, we're not always right, and two, we can continue to grow in our understanding and our wisdom as we uh, get closer to our brothers and as we have a better understanding of the Word of God. I say all of that really as an introduction to what I'm going to preach and teach on today in Revelation chapter 9. Because I think one of the greatest um, one of the greatest aspects of the tribulation that we are seeing right now, and that will uh, come to an apex or a, an intensity like has never seen before, is the deception that is brought against us by the destroyer or by the deceiver or by our enemy, uh, by demonic forces and by Satan himself. You see, uh, the the New Testament authors tell us very clearly to be careful of the teaching that you uh, uh, that you allow in to your minds and be careful of false prophets and false teachers that look to deceive you. And so now more than ever, I encourage you to be in the Word of God, to be studying the Word of God. And I know, I know some of you that is not your primary gifting and it's a struggle for you. But I promise you that you will be blessed if you will take time to go to the Word of God and let it work on you. That's the good thing about the Bible. 
is that we don't have to uh, make it work. We don't have to force ourselves. We may have to be spiritually disciplined, but what I've found is that when I go to the Scriptures and I spend some time in the Scriptures, that the Scriptures inevitably and always come alive to me. And, and not because I make them come alive, but because they're living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it starts to do work in me. So I like to say it this way, is that I like to read the Scriptures until the Scriptures start reading me. And you will find that if you will just be faithful to the scriptures and faithful to God and take time to start reading the scriptures, you will find this amazing phenomenon, this supernatural phenomenon where you all of a sudden, all of a sudden go, wow, look at that. And it will start to come alive to you as if it's coming off the page. Raise your hand if you know exactly what I'm talking about. Amen. Amen. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So I would encourage you, by way of introduction to the passage that Susie's about to read, to be uh, ready in season and out of season to give an answer, to be able to rightly divide the Word of God, to go to the Scriptures and eat them, take them inside of yourself, that you may be able to understand who Christ is and who you are in Christ. Susie, will you come and, and read for us? Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. The first woe is past. Two other woes are yet to come. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes having heads with which they inflict injury. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood idols that cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Amen. Will you pray for us? Yes. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this word that you have placed on our hearts. Lord, I thank you for the freedom to be able to read this word. I um, ask your blessing upon um, this sermon today, and I ask your blessing upon each member here. I thank you for... um, the healing that you have put in Ruth's body, that she could be with us today. Lord, I just um, lift up Mary Spawn, and I just ask for healing in her body and a friend of Robert's grandmother also, Lord, just a comfort and a peace for these two ladies. And, Lord, I also pray for Michelle, Jeanette's niece. Lord, we just ask all these things and place them in your hands and in your heart. We just ask your blessing upon each one of us. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Susie. Amen. Praise the Lord for his word. Now let's unpack the word a little bit and see exactly what God would have for us to see here. And and as you already know, the text is so rich and so deep that we will not be able to cover every bit of ground. But I think I understand uh, the the message, the, the, the ultimate message that God would have for us as his people to understand, and those of you in here who do not bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ is to take a stern warning from this as well in desire a result of your salvation and you coming to the Lord and being transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son. And so uh, let it be known that King Jesus is looking to build his kingdom through the proclamation of the gospel and you too can have part of that kingdom today if you would bow the knee to the King 
and have faith in him and be born again into the family of God. And so let's open up the scriptures. What I want to do is I want to take one step back because I believe that last week or the week before last, when I last preached on Revelation, when I last spoke on these verses, we went through uh, chapter 9, through about chapter, I mean, verse 10 and 11. We touched on it, but I want to kind of touch on this aspect once again because I believe it's going to be important for everything that we're going to look at in the verses that we're looking at primarily today. So let's read that (coughs) verse 10 uh, and 11 again uh, that will lead us into 12 and onward. Verse 10, when we were speaking about the locusts that were like horses in verse 7, coming uh, from this plague that would hit the uh, earth as a form of judgment and tribulation. If you remember, last week and the week before that, the last time we spoke on Revelation, we, we talked about the seven trumpets being a recapitulation or a retelling of the same set of events that are seen in the, the uh, seals that were unveiled or opened up in chapter 6. And what we said was in chapter 6, it seems like the focus and the uh, perspective was that these tribulations that would be poured out against the unbeliever would also affect the believer in many ways. One of the primary ways that would affect the believer would be the testing of their faith in order to prove them as believers. And in their suffering, they would be able to proclaim the gospel and stand for Christ in such a way that they they would be a light to the darkness and that they would be a, a city on a hill, so to speak. And so as tribulation comes against the unbeliever, we see that tribulation and the kingdom run hand in hand, which is what John said at the very outset in, the, in chapter 1. He said, your fellow partaker in the kingdom and in the tribulation. So we can take hope as believers that as the tribulation is poured out against unbelievers, that that same tribulation will serve uh, in order to prove us as believers and more so prove the, the Lord, for he seals the believers with the seal of the Holy Spirit, and he keeps them, and he in them is working out their salvation that they might persevere all the way until the end. And that's how we know who the elect of God are, that they persevere all the way to the end, and they cannot fail, not because because they're better or more righteous or anything like that in and of themselves, but that they have the seal of God, they have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, which produces in them this endurance all the way to the end. And so uh, chapter 6 and the seals, the seven seals, is more indicative of this. It's more, uh, it's from this perspective of proving the believers while also judging the unbelievers We move from there to the seven trumpets, the the, the same story, the same events, the same uh, 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 historical moments. And this is from the perspective of judging the unbelievers. It's not as if this is uh, primarily intended to bring about repentance, which some would say, wait, what, what? You see, those who have hardened their hearts against God and they have chosen not to bow the knee to God, they have hated God. They have, they have caused themselves to become enemies of God, not because God hated them, but because they hated God. The, uh, the wrath of God is being revealed against them from heaven. And it's not as if Jesus is, is condemning them, but they have condemned themselves due to their unbelief, John chapter 3. And so these uh, seven trumpets that are being blown is a judgment against the unbeliever. And so the unbelievers in the room today, the true unbelievers that have no fruit, remember we talked about that last week, is that we're not talking about a prayer prayed, but a life lived. And not that we would live life in order to work out salvation and earn salvation and it be justification by works, but that a life lived for Jesus Christ is indicative of and evidence of a transformed heart and a renewed spirit and the indwelling of the Spirit of God in true salvation. Does that make sense? So as we move through now, what we're going to see is is that some of these uh, demonic spirits, not some of them, these demonic spirits, spirits have a king of their own. And that king is named in uh, verse 11. It says, they have as over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in Greek, he is called Apollyon. Now, this is absolutely uh, amazing how the word just ties itself all together. 
You see, in the scriptures, Satan is often referred to as the deceiver or as the one coming against those, uh, um, those who are believers. And he is looking to accuse them and deceive them and draw them away from King Jesus, uh, looking to destroy them. And here, I believe that this is uh, who this is speaking of is Satan, the commander of those armies, the commander of the demons. This is the angel of the bottomless pit, I believe, in opposition to or in contrast to the angel of the Lord, who is King Jesus, okay? Uh, this is a Christophany in the Old Testament. Oftentimes we see the angel of the Lord uh, with divine attributes given to him very, very frequently in the Old Testament. But nevertheless, we have here Apollyon, which is also called Abaddon. Now, do you know what Abaddon and Apollyon mean? Of course you don't. I didn't either. <laughs> but I learned that they mean, Abaddon means destruction and Apollyon means the destroyer. So this is the destroyer coming to destroy. Now, the question remains is, who is he coming to destroy, and how far will this destruction come? And I would pose this to you, is that this is focused in on and, and, and intent on showing us that the destroyer is not coming to destroy the elect of God and the believer per se. They will experience some destruction because of his coming. But that they are coming in judgment against the ungodly and the unrighteous and the unbeliever. You say, wait a minute, Brandon. How do you, why, what do you mean by that? Well, let's take a step back right here in the same text, in the same verses, in the same context, and look what it says. Go back up with me to verse 4, and I want to show you something here. It says they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. You see, those who have the seal of God escape the primary bulk of and the intensity of the wrath of God at the hand of Apollyon, the destroyer. One other thing that I want to show here uh, that, that I think is very important for the believer is that Apollyon is on a leash. Do you see that? In the first part of chapter 9, it says, And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen. He had already fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft. You see, he is under authority, just like he was in the life of Job, just like he is in, in, with reference to the believers, just like with the verses that we're going to go to today, which releases the four angels at the four corners so that they can do this destructive warfare. Not that God is the one doing it per se, but that he has commissioned these evil spirits, these, this Apollyon, he has loosened and brought them into the picture to do his work work. Just like when he brought Assyria to destroy uh, the, uh, Israel and the Babylonians to destroy Israel. He, just like he used these guys, he is using this evil spirit as well. You say, why, why does that matter to me? It's, it matters this way, is that whatever comes against you as a believer. Now, those of you who are unbelievers in the room, and I keep making this distinction because I need for you to not sit there and go, oh, well, I'm okay. If you're not part of the family of God and part of the kingdom of God, then you need to understand that you automatically make yourself an enemy of God and you stand to be destroyed in an amazingly intense way by the wrath of God. But those of you who are believers in the room and have been born again, that you have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, you need to understand that the enemy cannot come against you like he does the others. He cannot destroy you in an ultimate way. He may kill your body. Granted, you're like, well, thanks. That's very reassuring. But we are not to fear the one who can destroy the body, but to fear the one who can destroy both the body and the soul in hell. You see, the craziest thing is, and the greatest thing simultaneously is, is that many times when a Christian loses his life for the gospel of Christ, it only seals his fate forever to spend eternity by the side of Jesus Christ. And what I am proposing today 
is that as we stand firm in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, not only is it reward for us in the end, and not only is it ultimately to Christ's glory and our glory, if we suffer with Him, we'll also be glorified with Him, but it is also the greatest way to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the church has always been built on the back of the martyrs. You see, if someone comes against you and pours out against you, Jesus says, love your, love your enemies. Why? Is because this is the greatest example of Jesus Christ. When we conquer the world in the building of the kingdom, it will be by the same means that Jesus Christ conquered the world and built and set up his kingdom. Namely, the sacrifice. The sacrifice for the love of God. Well... <clears throat> I wanted to show you this because I think it's going to be absolutely significant when we get into our verses, namely that we are not in the same position as unbelievers as receiving the full force and the wrath of God. And as a matter of fact, I've been talking with Keith, I think he and I both do agree on this, is that believers will actually escape the hottest and most intense aspect of this tribulation and of the judgment of God. I think we can agree on that, right? That believers will escape the greatest, most intensified aspect of the judgment of God and the wrath of God and the tribulation as they are called up out of this as that greatest last judgment comes down in the day of the Lord. Now, I say this to you to give you encouragement because you are the, the temple of the living God. You are the kingdom of heaven come down to dwell in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you are right now commissioned to go into the world and to do what? To baptize them, to, to teach them, to show them, to disciple them. And what is that? It is the building of the kingdom of God. In, anticipatory, in anticipation of the coming of the king to destroy all of this and set up his kingdom rule forever. Now, as we move into these verses, I want you to see the contrast that, that they have as king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon or destruction. And in Greek, he is called Apollyon or the destroyer. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Release the four angels that are bound at the great river Euphrates. This has several Old Testament um, uh, insights here, and, and it's reaching back to speak of the Old Testament when, these, when this great army would arise against the people of God and go forth against the people of God. One other thing that I didn't mention to you, and I do want to show you right quick because it will have significance as well, is in Exodus chapter 12 this was very amazing to me. In Ezekiel chapter, I mean, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 12, verse 23, going back up to Abaddon and Apollyon, which is the destroyer. God, this is not the first time that God has used this angel or if this is Satan. It's not the first time that he has used him to pour out wrath against the ungodly and against the enemies of God. There was another time several probably, but there was another time where he is marked out uh, explicitly as being used by God to bring destruction on the unbeliever. Exodus chapter 12, this is so interesting to me, I, I hope it is to you too. In, in Exodus chapter 12, we're speaking of the Passover, and the Passover was when the children of God were in the land of Egypt, and they were in bondage, and, and God was commanding um, uh, Pharaoh to let his people go, but he refused. He, he would not let the people go. He was an enemy of God, and God uh, told him that you will pay, that you will suffer, and all of your firstborn children will die if you do not let my people go. And it says in uh, Exodus 12, starting in verse 21, it says, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Who does that remind you of? Come on, Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood <coughs> that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts. With the blood that is in the basin, none of you shall go out of the door of, the, uh, uh, of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. Who will? 
The Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. And all God's people said, wow. Whoa. You see, this is not the first time that this has happened. And all of that... All of that Passover sequence, and I believe it's real, it's history. All of that was to proclaim that there's another lamb coming whose blood will cover over you. And when he covers over you and seals you by the power of the Holy Spirit, the destroyer will have to pass over you too. Amen? You can clap on that. It's okay. Amen. You think that's coincidence that the destroyer is the same as the destroyer in the Exodus chapter 12 that kills those who are not sealed? Child of God. Child of, child of God. This should cause in you this. Whoo, not in a prideful way. That might have been not good. But in a glorious gospel-centered way that says, you can't touch me. Because I'm a child of the one true God. And you see, the, the angels at the four corners, they're bound. Satan, in many regards, is bound. Does he still roam? Does he still seek to devour? Yeah. Is he still a deceiver? Yes. But is he bound in such a way that he has limited access to believers and to the earth? Yes. He is not running rampant. We say, I think that's what it means here when it says that he kills a third of or destroys a third of. That he only has limited power now. But I'm telling you that there is a day coming when he will be fully loosed and he will destroy everything that's left on the earth because he cannot destroy the believers because the believers will be called up to meet Jesus Christ in the sky. And that, I believe, is the day of the Lord. But right here and right now, we are in the tribulation and the kingdom is going hand in hand and it's being built. And you are called by God in power to be building the kingdom of God right now and laughing in the face of Satan and the demons. Why? Because just like the disciples, you have power and authority over the demons. Because they are subject to you. We don't even realize that. And like last week, and I told you, my little girl had a piece of chocolate chip cookie in each hand. She just didn't know she had the power. She could have just eaten it up. Many, so many of us walk around with our heads down going, why? And Jesus is like, dude, stop. Stop. <coughs> well, let's move. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still to come. Uh, then the sixth angel blew his trumpet and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God. We've already touched this. Won't spend a lot of time. What are the four horns on the altar of God? What does the horn represent? Power, right? And it's the power and authority from God. So the four horns of the golden altar, <clears throat> which represented the presence of God, and the sacrifice of Christ, the power in the altar, the power of Christ, the power of God. Saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates. Now, I wish I had, I got a lot of time. Y'all are quick today. Check this out. <laughs> Check this out. Chapter 7, verse 1. Watch this. Chapter 7, verse 1. Now, let's go. Let's, this is good. This is really, really good. Okay, watch. Chapter 9, verse 14, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who have been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. Watch this, chapter 7. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. Do you think these might be the same four angels? These are the same four angels holding back destruction, holding back, waiting for what? Waiting for what? It tells us <laughs> that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. They could not be released until the sealing of the sons of God and the marking out of the believers so that the believers would be safe in that day when he would come as the destroyer to destroy in the way that is marked out here. So it says, so the four angels, uh, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphra uh, Euphrates 915. 
So the four angels uh, who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. When we see this marked out here, this is, this is very good. It's very good. It's, it's, it, it continually blows my mind how intrinsic the Word of God is. Do you remember what Jesus Christ often said about the time that He's coming? He says, do not be uh, surprised by it, that you need to be ready because you do not know the day or the hour. You do not know the day or the hour. You see, both contend, Jesus and John, Jesus or John through Jesus, both contend that there is a marked out day, a specific time when the day of the Lord, when, when Jesus Christ will come and he will release the, the destroyer, that he will destroy uh, death, hell, sin, and Satan, that he will come and set up his kingdom. Some believe that's a literal millennial reign. Some believe that we are in that reign right now, and, and that's figurative. Either way, you want to go with that. I, I, I am not going to tell you what I am. I want you to study the Scripture. Some believe that there is a literal millennial reign, that Jesus Christ will come and set up that kingdom, and he'll rule from Jerusalem. Some believe that we're in that kingdom right now, and that he is ruling and reigning now, and doing so in heaven, and vicariously through his people, who are the temple of God here. But either way, we do believe that there is a set time when Jesus Christ says, Enough! And the believers are saved and the unbelievers are destroyed. But what is the text here pushing? And that is, is that the believers are secured until that day. But on that day, they will be released in order to pour out wrath upon the world and all who are unbelievers. Do you see the, 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 do you see the encouragement and, the, and the, the power and also the warning and the destruction in the same verse? <laughs> so the four angels who had, been, who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops, I, won't, I will go back to the hour, the day, and, and the month in here in just a minute. The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I do not believe, like, like most every other number in Revelation, that this is to be taken literally, but this is an innumerable number. This is actually, actually I think it said in the text that the math on this, I'll trust them, was 200 million. 200 million. The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I think the way all that math works out is 200 million. But I believe that it's just saying, yeah, you're going to want to go on with the Lord when this happens. <laughs> you know. The number of the amount of troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode on them. They wore breastplates, the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads. And fire and smoke and, smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the sulfur coming out of their mouths. Now, I do believe that the sixth trumpet is not the final trumpet, but is preparatory for the final trumpet and when the final trumpet is blown that that's the end that i think i in my opinion the seventh trumpet the seventh seal the seventh bowl is the day of the lord is the day of judgment where uh, all creation will be judged he will separate the sheep from the goats and he will bring in the new heavens and the new earth the new jerusalem will descend out of out of heaven and uh jesus christ will reign over all the creation for all time forevermore in a way that he's never done before but what here, right here, what I want to show you is, is that, um, and it's funny because when I asked uh, Susie to read this, she was reading through this, and she said, man, that sounds just like me when I get upset with Mark. Um, so she's like, you picked the perfect one. <laughs> but, <laughs> and Mark said, amen, I'll, I'll let you repent of that later. It says, and this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur, and the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. Now, what was true of the preceding trumpets in uh, the first part of chapter 9? Remember when he opened the bottomless pit, what came out? Smoke. Smoke. And that smoke did what to the sky? Darkened it. Which is indicative of what? 
It's indicative of judgment and deception. So there is, in this season that we're in right now, and, and remember, I understand this to be teaching that we are presently walking through much of this, and we have experienced this and seen this continually repeated throughout history. And that demonic influences are all around us. And I really do believe with all of my heart that demonic influences are behind drug addiction, alcoholism, abortion, um, racism. All of these things, I believe, are being pushed and promoted by the deceiver, by the destroyer. And how many lives have been destroyed even just by abortion? Abortion on demand. And you say, well, what about those ladies who might die? I think, this less, I think this is the, the statistics say that it's 1% or less that that affects. The vast majority of abortions are out of uh, just ease, convenience, just because it's going to hinder their, their way of life. And so millions and millions and millions and millions of innocent babies have been murdered because of convenience. This is deception. And if there's anybody in the room today that has experienced this and you've gone down that road and you are broken and hurting and you're saying, is there forgiveness for this? Is there forgiveness for this? Let me tell you right now that Jesus Christ went to the cross and died a horrible death to pay for that sin. And let me tell you that he is good, righteous, and faithful to all those that have been going on that did not have a chance to see him. And you can trust in Jesus Christ that he is faithful and just and gracious to forgive you and to forgive those sins it is not as if we have to remain in the past in our sins that Jesus Christ paid to pave the way and you can come to him today to receive forgiveness but all of these are demonic influences in our time and it's not as if that was the only one like I said drug addiction greed all of these things are, are, are uh, demonic influences that are deceiving people to believe that that hope and, and and salvation and identity are found in those things well we need to move on. Listen to what he says here. The number of the amount of troops were uh, twice, 10,000 times, 10,000. I heard the number, and I saw this. I saw the horses in my vision, and those who rode them, they were breastplates, the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur, and the heads of the horses were like lions, heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouth. So when there was previously just smoke, and it was just deception, and he apparently, the, the uh, um, Apollyon, is leading people away. He's blinding their eyes. He's blinding their eyes. Why did Jesus keep saying that, that, that you don't know the hour in the day? What, why was he saying that? Do you remember? He said, be ready because you don't know the hour or the day. Be ready for I come like a thief in the night. Be ready. Be prepared. Be, uh, be right-minded. Understand the gospel. Uh, be set apart from me. Be ready because you don't know what day and hour the Son of Man comes. So deception is in the picture here. It's implied that you need to understand rightly who you are and who I am, lest you be deceived and fall away and get drawn up by the destroyer and destroyed in the end. You see, so it says here, it says that this, this smoke is a part of this picture too, whereas it stopped with the smoke in the previous trumpets. Here, the smoke is accompanied by fire, which is... Uh, indicative in, in my understanding of death. You see, he's looking to deceive, but that deception ultimately leads to death. If we're not set apart by Jesus Christ and giving wisdom and insight and a new mind, be renewed by the transforming of we need the Holy Spirit. We need God. We need the Word of God. We need to be uh, uh, transformed by the renewing of our mind. We need God. We need God. I heard the number, and this is how I saw the horses in my vision. And those who rode them, they wore breastplates, the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. I believe it's very, very clear that the reason that they have heads like lion's heads is that this is, this is the deceiver. He looks very good. This is the Antichrist. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. This is the one, like uh, I think uh, Robert taught on this when he spoke of, was it you or was it Dustin? Dustin taught on this when he spoke of the one on the white horse. Remember the four horses of the apocalypse? And many say, that's Jesus, that's Jesus, that's Jesus. Why do, they, why do so many commentators think that that's Jesus? Well, I guess they could be right. I disagree with them. 
But, but why? I understand why they would think it would be Jesus. Why? Because it looks just like him. Doesn't Jesus come on a white horse? In Revelation 19, he comes on a white horse. You see, the, so usually, I think I've said this before, usually <coughs> people are not deceived by something that looks crazy demonic. I mean, not half sane people, you know. I mean, you don't, like you see on TV, you know, the devil's like got wings or he's red or whatever. I mean, most people seeing that, they're like, no, I don't think so, man. You know, I'm good. I'm okay. But the scriptures, they don't say. Now, he is pictured in Revelation as a serpent in the end when he's loose like that. But, I, you know, that's kind of too late at that point. But, but most of the time in the scriptures, as we're moving up to that point, what is he portrayed as? He comes as an angel of light. Satan's sexy. Point blank, period. Especially to the people of the world. Man, he looks good. Why do you think all these women walk around here half naked? Yeah, I just said half naked women are under demonic influence. I said it. What y'all gonna do? <laughs> half naked men are too. Bounce in my eyes, Gary. That's what I'm talking about. You see, Satan's not, you know, he's he's not he's not very obvious. You know, I mean, go ahead, debate with somebody on abortion. There's some good debaters out there. They'll have a lot of people twisted up. They'll make it seem like you crazy if you don't think abortion should be legal or abortion is not even a good thing. Romans chapter 1 tells us very plainly that not only do they do these things, right? Not only do they do these things, but they approve of those who do. They call what's evil good. Keith, uh, Brother Keith, raise your hand. He has a great book out uh, that I, he let me have the privilege to read and even write a little forward, uh, um, for, not a forward, but a blurb recommendation. Great book. Get it. I'm telling you, get it on abortion. Uh, and it also covers capital punishment. But great book that, that shows how abortion really is tied to humanism and Satanism, even as, as he has described. Very good book. But, but my whole point is this, is that it's all deception. It looks really good on the outset. It can be explained in very, very eloquent ways. And, 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 and you can even get, you can get somebody who is so eloquent in speech and who seems to have boldness and power and carries themselves in charisma, they can explain racism to you in a way that you're like, wow, okay. They can explain. I've seen it from both sides. I watch these videos because I'm just weird like that. I've seen uh, white supremacy portrayed and, and sounds, sounds pretty good. I've seen uh, black supremacy portrayed. Wow. You know, Hebrew Israelites, you've seen that? Man, it's just racism disguised in a different way. It comes from both ways, all angles, every race, every tongue, every tribe, every nation. They're all raising up and rising up against King Jesus, and they are trying their best to find whatever your weakness is to draw you in. So they got you, got you. Most people, when they think of Revelation, they think of bloody warfare and Apache helicopters, you know, body parts flying off, you know, it's all bleeding from the jugular. Was that too dramatic? <laughs> and I, I believe there's going to be some of that in, in the last time. I think it's going to be really bad. But, but, but the greatest thing, but the greatest form of judgment I believe, will come in the form of deception. What, what would be worse? Getting hit by fire from the enemy as you die for Jesus Christ or being so consumed by the arguments of the enemy that you shed blood for him? See, everybody's like, he's riding the fence. There's no fence. There, there's no fence. You're either for him or you're against him. You're either proclaiming the gospel of Christ or you're proclaiming the false gospel of the enemy. That's it. That's it. 
I don't know what else to say. That's it. And the deception, the destroyer is, is breathing out. Well, it's very engaging. It's very, it's very enticing. And I've had people tell me that you spend too much time reading the Bible. You, I really have. That you and and I understand my wife has has got on me because I can get consumed and ignore my family. I, that's not what I'm mean. But I've had people tell me say you don't need to worry about all that stuff. Jesus loves you, has a wonderful wonderful plan for your life. My whole thing is is that. How are you going to know? If the Antichrist is really so much like Jesus that he can deceive whole nations and draw away those who formerly would say that they were believers. Remember, I think the elect always persevere to the end. That he would draw them away and that he would even be able to come up. You know, 1 John chapter 2 says, they went out from us, but they were never of us. But they were there for a while. And, and seemingly, the only way he could tell you, he said, because the children of God, they abide. But since they didn't abide, they were not children. You see, that it's very, very enticing. And so I would say to you, if you want to guard yourself against the day of the Lord, if you want to guard yourself and do what Jesus Christ says, to be ready in season and out of season, to be ready, to, 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 to not let it surprise you, to be ready because we don't know when the day or the hour is near. If you want to obey Christ, then you must familiarize yourself with the Word of God, not just with the a reading of the text and some mental ascent. No, but you've got to know the Word of God by the Holy Spirit of God. And you've got to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that is a supernatural work by the power of the Holy Spirit that comes through faith, that we're justified and sanctified by faith, that we are sanctified by the Word of God. And if you do not know the Word of God, you will not know the counterfeit when he arrives. You will not know. And so I encourage you today to know, to, to live and breathe and move in the Word of God. As, as the Old Testament says, uh, know the Word of God. Speak of it when you walk in the way, when you rise in the morning, when you go to bed at night. Write it on your mantle. Write it on your, write it everywhere. Know it. Know it. And fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. You see, it's coming out of their mouths because this is the Word. This is painting a picture for us. This is prophetic language that is painting a picture for us in symbols and figures that is showing us that the, the darkness of the smoke will cloud your eyes and what comes from the mouth of the enemy will deceive you and draw you away and you will be destroyed by the destroyer if you are not on guard and ready for the day and the hour and not knowing who Jesus Christ is. I don't have time, but I could go there. But Paul says, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed as many are. And he goes on to say, be ready for the day of the Lord. Be ready, because you will not go through this if you are ready, if you are in Christ. <coughs> you will escape the final fate of those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. I think this is, this is indicative here. This is telling us here, evidence here, that, that this, this is leading up to that final judgment when the four are released because all the believers are sealed. This is leading up to that and it's intensifying, but that this is still a partial wrath. This is a partial judgment waiting in anticipation of the day of the Lord, the seventh trumpet to be blown and for Jesus to return on the clouds at the, at the sound of the trumpet, which is, I believe, the seventh trumpet. And so we see these deceivers here we see the enemy here. We see this multitude of, of the powerful forces of darkness coming against the people of God, coming against the world of unbelievers, deceiving them and destroying them and 
bringing them into the kingdom of darkness where they are utterly destroyed forever. I like what one of the commentators said. It says, as they kill them, the worst death is not the physical death, but it's the death for all of eternity in which uh, the wrath of God will be poured out forever and ever and ever and ever. You see, the worst punishment is not the physical death, but it's separation from God. It's separation from Jesus Christ, who is light, who is love, who is peace, who is comfort. It's loneliness and terrible uh, gnashing of teeth and pain and torment, darkness, utter darkness forevermore, forevermore. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. You see, there's still no repentance. You remember in chapter 6 how the tribulation, when fired upon the earth, it served in two ways, to draw away the unbeliever and seal his fate forever, but it also uh, served another purpose, and that was to identify and evidence who was really the elect. And in, such, in so much doing, as the faith is proven, so is the seal of God revealed by the power of the Holy Spirit, because it is the Holy Spirit who leads that person and draws that person to endure forever. It is not the works of that man, but it is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You see, you can't do this on your own. You need the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that's why I always and continually proclaim that you need to be born again. You need to be born again. You don't need to go to church and you don't need to do all these things to be saved. You need to be born again. And out of being born again and receiving the power of the Holy Spirit, then out of that overflow will you do the works that has been committed to you by Jesus Christ. For you were created for good works. Yes. Yes. But these are a result of salvation and not a condition for salvation. And once you know Christ, you're set on a path of life. And you're set on a path blazing a trail, looking to the author. I like that word can also be translated looking to the pioneer of your faith. You see, Jesus Christ blazed a trail, and we were to follow in his footsteps. And as we suffer tribulation, we will proclaim the gospel, and it will be effective. But for all of those who are unbelievers, they will be deceived and hardened. And as the, uh, it was the Puritans who said, the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. And so, I, Keith, we were talking again. Keith and I talk all the time, if you can't tell. We were talking the other day, and he said something very, very good, I thought. It was a while back, actually. I was actually just reading him talking to somebody else, I think. But He said in, in, in Romans chapter 9, the hardening of Pharaoh was actually a passive act by God. I think is what I, I, I understood you saying. <laughs> and what he meant by that is that, you know, unbelievers experience a certain amount of common grace. And another great conversation that we had that really helped me out in seeing aspects of the atonement was the atonement for Jesus Christ does affect unbelievers in one way. Yeah, I think that it is, I think Keith rightly said, that it is the basis for common grace. It is the basis for common grace. And that Jesus Christ in his atonement is effectual salvation for the elect, but also common grace for the non-elect that they're not just burned up instantly. Why else do you think God relents for so long and pleads for so long? But in their hardened hearts and in their hatred of God, the more, the kinder he is, the harder they get. I think this is why, I think it's James who says, love your enemies, and in so doing you heap up coals on their heads. <laughs> is that not a weird verse to anybody else? He's like, love them so that you can get them, <laughs> right? Well, what's the basis of that? What's the basis of that? It's the, same, it's the same understanding, I think, is, have you ever been around someone who's a sinner? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she looked over at his wife. Right now. <laughs> Have you ever been around someone who is in deep, continual sin? Okay. And you even know them to be a believer. You can't judge their heart. None of us can. But you, they've made a profession of faith. They've lived for the Lord, but they're in a season of oh, turmoil. And you go to them, and in love, in true, pure love, you plead with them, and they can't stand you for it, at least for a season. 
They can't, they won't, they, they avoid you. You know, that's why they make grocery aisles this tall. Imagine if the grocery store aisle was this tall. You'd have people shopping like this. I'm serious. I mean, the grocery store, that's why the aisles are that tall. They will avoid you like the plague. They won't answer your phone calls. You been in this situation? The darkness hates the light. It hates the light. And until that person, until that sin is dealt with, until that darkness is dealt with, they cannot accept the light. They're in opposition to it. This, when we get into chapter 10, we're going to see this seventh trumpet. The seventh uh, trumpet is not blown yet. As a matter of fact, it's sealed up. Seal it up. Don't let them know yet. <laughs> Which I think goes hand in hand with no one knows the day or the hour. You've got to be ready because no one knows. It's not revealed yet. Not even to the sun, it says. But that when that, th this is going to be cool. Because I think uh, the seventh trumpet is blown in chapter 11. Okay? And I want to show you something right here as, as we get ready to go. You can actually all stand on your feet. Um, I do believe that in that last, in that last uh, trumpet, in the day of the Lord, in that final coming of, of Jesus in wrath, the second coming, when he comes in wrath, not to deal with sin or to make atonement for sin, he will just save the people, but to deal with sin in a way of just judgment. That when he comes, though the, this is cool, though the destroyer was used by him, in order to do some of his bidding and some of his work in the judgment on the unbelievers, that he will destroy the destroyer. Just like he held the Yeah. Oh yeah. Just like he held he held the Assyrians accountable for the evil that they had done, even though he was the one that used them. Check this out. I'm gonna read this. Chapter 11, verse 15, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So the kingdom is completed then. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who was and who, uh, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nation raged, but your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Have hope, people of God. We have hope. You know why? Because we've read the back of the book. We know how it ends. And so the push of the message today is this. Twofold. For any under the sound of my voice who do not truly know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And those of you who have not been indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit. And have evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Repent today. Do not harden your hearts as they did in the past, but give yourself today completely and wholly to the Lord Jesus Christ. Have faith in Him and be born again and thereby not only escape the wrath of God, but number two, the second focus of today is that you... By the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that, 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 was, that was the power of the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ to be seated at the right hand of the Father, to assume His authoritative role as King. That same Spirit dwells in you. 
And you have become, as Revelation has said so very clearly, a kingdom of priests. And it is your call now, even now, to intercede for the ungodly, to intercede for the unbelievers, to go on their behalf to the throne room of grace and to pray that they might receive King Jesus as King. That they might be uh, become saved or born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in so doing, you are building the kingdom of God. You are preparing the kingdom to be received by King Jesus. And to be established forevermore at his second coming. Do you not realize that you have power over demons? Do you not realize those of you who have been sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit, you have authority over the demonic realm. Yes, we are fighting a spiritual warfare, but you are a powerful warrior for King Jesus. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ overcame death hell and Satan through his sacrifice on the cross and he substantiated it and evidenced it by his resurrection from the dead marking out that I have conquered because when he went into the grave they could not hold him he has defeated death and I tell you believer I tell you now that you have the same power over death go and preach it Go into the world that is full of lost and dying people and open up their eyes that they might not be deceived by this smoke that is in the air right now. If you won't go, who will? How blessed are the feet of those who carry the gospel. Will you not carry it? Will you not go? Why will you not go? It is, it is, is it for fear of death? Don't, just, don't fear the one who can destroy the body, but fear God who can destroy both. What is it, fear of rejection? Praise God when those reject you, for they rejected Christ as well. Is it for fear of persecution? Praise God when storms and, and suffering and trials come, for this is the way that King Jesus proclaimed the gospel in the greatest way. Your suffering isn't suffering if it's an opportunity. Suffer well, child of God. Suffer well. Why, do, why don't you go? Will you go? Will you go? Will you, will you sacrifice to go? Will it mean less money at work? Will it mean ridicule at work? Will it mean a loss of, of freedom, of the world standards, or a giving up of of resources, a giving up of friends and, and, and fame and acceptance, what will it mean? It's a price well paid. For what, is it, what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? And what does it benefit our, our brothers in the world for you to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I really don't know what else to say, and I'm gonna I'm gonna show an aggravation here. I've proclaimed this to probably 400 people because a lot of people come and go. We've got an opportunity to to be used at OP Earl for the Good News Club, and we could probably do this at several other schools. But you know, and I put this on Facebook, so you might already know what I'm gonna say. An opportunity <laughs> to share the gospel daily with 80 to 100 kids. Proclaimed it to over 400 people and now thousands on Facebook. And you know, I can't get 10 people to go. You know, I can't get 10 that will finish their paperwork to be able to go into the school and preach the gospel to the children. I ain't, I'm not going to say nothing else about it. I'll let you think about that for a little while. I don't know what else to do. I'm going. That's sad to me. And I think it's indicative of our church, our community. Maybe you're just doing so much work for the Lord that you don't have time for that. Maybe. I don't know what it is. Maybe God just don't want that ministry to float right now, but I tell you, I'm disappointed. I'd be lying to you if I wouldn't. I want our church to go. I want to doggone be used in the community. 
I want to hear, and I do hear some, but I think we could do so much more. We're not doing enough. We're not. We come in here, and we hear, and I get amens, and woo, but what does that mean? That don't mean nothing. Not if you're not taking it out there. And I'm not trying to beat you up right now. I'm just trying to be real with you. I love you. I really do. God knows I do. I love you guys. I really do. But I love Jesus more. And if you're not going and doing what you're hearing, then you are heaping up judgment against yourself. You need to understand that. For those who have heard, yet they're not transformed and they don't go, it will be worse for them in the day of judgment than better. It's not... Being a Christian and being a born-again child of God is not about coming to a church and say, we're not going back there, Janice. It's not about coming and hearing some guy. It's not about coming and listening to some music. It's not about doing all of these religious things. Do them. Praise the Lord. But if it's not equipping you to go out into the world and be used by God to transform this dark and dying world into the kingdom of God, then what are we doing? What are we doing? Please, I'm begging you. If it's not this ministry, fine. But I am begging you. I am pleading with you to get out into the world. Get over yourself. Get over these little sins that you're dealing with. You have been given victory over this. Get out into the world and let's proclaim the gospel and build the kingdom. People are dying. People are getting uncomfortable now. That's the truth of God. Come do business with God. I'll pray for you. Maybe you got something that's hindering you. I don't know what it is. Maybe there's some reason that you won't go. Maybe you are going. It's not for me to judge. All I'm telling you is, is that it seems to me like me and you and everybody else could do a whole lot more for the kingdom of God. It's time for us to repent. It's time for us to set our eyes and our focus on Jesus Christ and get our tails off of our seats and into the community. Amen? Amen. Does this hurt your feelings? Let's go, people of God. If we, if, let me tell you this, and I'm going to shut up. If we were as passionate about Jesus Christ and the gospel, if we were more passionate about that than every other thing in our lives, do you not think that we would be doing what I'm saying? Hey, if I'm lying, you come after and you tell me. If I'm being too hard on you, you come after and you tell me. But I'm telling you right now. I've seen how excited some of y'all can get over some stuff. I've seen how excited you got over some things you got for Christmas. I've seen how you told me all about it. You got out in public telling people all about this or all about that. Are you doing the same for King Jesus? And if not, why? That's the question I'll leave you with. Let's repent. Let's ask Christ to forgive us. Let's Praise Him that we are being able to be used because many of you are being used. Now, praise God for that. But for the rest of us, let's do better, okay? Do business with God. You know what to do.